wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you on this Tuesday and the first day of Ordinary Time here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The Christmas season is officially now over, and keep in mind that Ordinary Time is called Ordinary, not because it is common, but simply because the weeks of Ordinary Time are numbered. The Sundays and the 33 or 34 weeks of Ordinary Time uh, take us to the life and the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. On Tuesdays, I always take a moment to remind you about the guardian angels. Pray often to your guardian angel. Ask your guardian angel for help, and today is a good day to do it. You can always find us on Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook, and uh, you can uh, send us an email, morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here this morning? Well, guys, it wasn't quite as dramatic as the big raid on Mar-a-Lago a while back, but it turns out that after he was vice president, there were some classified documents found in an office that President Biden worked in for a, a couple of years. This was discovered uh, just a few days before the election in the fall and has come to light today as the Justice Department is looking into that. It's interesting that the mainstream media seems to be interested about this. I see uh, the former president uh, uh, reacted uh, uh, in his usual manner, uh, claiming that it's sort of a double standard. Yeah. Again, this was uh, turned into a giant story. Uh, More documents were involved in the Trump situation, uh, but yet there were several that were highly classified that were found in an office that was used for several years after his vice presidency by now President Biden. Uh, do you think anything is going to come of this? Uh, well, probably not too much, would be my guess. Yeah. Well, it was a, a big deal uh, last night uh, in college football, as you reported at the top of, of uh, the show here. Number one, uh, Georgia Bulldogs absolutely crushed number three TCU. 65-7 to was uh, the final to win back-to-back college football national championships. Quarterback Stetson Bennett led the way for the Bulldogs, throwing four touchdown passes and running for two more, as heard on ESPN. With the play action, Bennett looks down the middle. McConkey's wide open. Touchdown, Dogs. 37-yard strike. Bennett looking this time to the edge. Mitchell, one-handed catch for a touchdown. Bennett caps a career that began with no scholarship offer at Georgia. He'll leave with a legacy unlike anybody else at this school. 
Well, America does love that underdog story. So he was misjudged when he first came in, but he showed everybody who he was, and that's hard work and a good team. That's what happens. It's the old adage is not where you start, is where you finish. Uh, Stetson Bennett uh, surely uh, racked up some unbelievable numbers, uh, incredible performance uh, when it counted the most uh, to lead the, the dogs to a 15-0 and uh, finish. They're 15-0. and they, they were undefeated for the season. They become the first repeat uh, national champion since Alabama did it more than a decade ago. Glenn, um, I uh, didn't tune in right at the beginning. I, I missed uh, the beginning of the game, and uh, by halftime, it was all over. It was like, hey, time for me to go to bed. Yeah, they ran up the score in a hurry. And, uh, you know, one thinks of, uh, and by the way, what a great name right out of central casting for a quarterback. you got to think he's going to maybe replace Dak Prescott with the Cowboys or something with a name <laughs> like Stetson Bennett. But, uh, you know, you think of Trevor Lawrence a few years ago having such a fabulous bowl game and, uh, you know, hoping to, to cement some success in the NFL. And uh, we'll see what happens. But a great story, again, as a, as a walk-on so many years ago. But we have another doggy story for you guys. I love it. And this one involves some doggy technology? Yeah, dog owners can now buy a Fitbit for their pets. As if your spouse wasn't sometimes annoying enough uh, with all the uh, uh, health things they can quote off their wrist there. Uh, It's a $150 GPS tracker providing location along with activity and behavior monitoring. And uh, just clips onto the pet's collar can alert the owner in seconds if the pet leaves its safe zone. It also keeps stats on sleep. Barking, the neighbors can do that too. Uh, scratching and shaking, it'll even send owners a notification when it detects a, a noticeable change in behavior. So, right. uh, you know, all I have to say is if it's $150, it better not be in any place that dog can eat it because I'm not going to be <laughs> replacing uh, any of these Fitbits for these dogs as they're scratching their legs and their whatever and they're <laughs> breaking this thing. That's a lot. Uh, a thought is it waterproof and what happens when the dog goes to the dog park and wrestles and runs around with all the other dogs will it stay on well i think you get a lot of steps the dog gets a lot of steps in when that happens but i think your beagle needs one of those john well you know this is something that we might have to look into uh for my beagle blaze uh, glenn <laughs> well you you let us know how that turns out <laughs> i love it uh dogs uh, of many different varieties in the news here this morning again congratulations to the georgia bulldogs for another national championship and uh, kudos to all the doggies out there who might be getting the fit bit as always thanks uh, uh glenn and sarah hey sure thing john we uh, always begin uh, every morning here on morning air in prayer always giving thanks to our lord for all the many blessings Through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Now, 2022, as you well know, is now in the history books, and with it goes uh, multiple difficult events like the many violent attacks to uh, crisis pregnancy centers across the country, the ongoing war in Ukraine, record inflation and gas prices and, and so on. But in the middle of all that, God also gives us hope and gives us reasons to be hopeful and grateful. Remember that every day is a gift. Joining us live from our nation's capital is Catholic writer Laura DiMaria with much more on some reasons for hope as uh, we are well underway here with the new year. Laura is also a nonprofit management professional living in the metro Washington, D.C. area. Uh, she's a revert to the faith. At her personal website, lauradimaria.com, she writes on topics including personal development, spiritual study, and living the Catholic faith in daily life. Good morning, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you once again here uh, early in the new year. Yeah, good morning, John. Great to be back, and thank you for having me. Well, Laura, in your recent article, Reasons for Hope at the End of the Year uh, in the Catholic Stand, uh, you wrote about how God offers us hope. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how Catholics are called to keep the hope of the Lord alive? He really does, all the time. It's it's really what we're meant for. And as you mentioned, I'm in the D.C. area, and so in particular— I get a lot of the, I get a lot of news. I get a lot of information about what's going on politically around here. You kind of can't avoid it, but that's beginning to be the case anywhere you are in the country. You know, we become a nation so obsessed with the news and with current events and constantly checking our notifications and what member of Congress said this outrageous thing. And, and you can get a sense for things are just out of control. You know, the country is on a track that you don't want it to be or there's, you know, something even at your local level that's happening that, that can be frustrating or upsetting. I mean, it's it's almost like now when we have elections, which we just did at the end of last year, of course, it's like a really traumatic event for everybody now. You know, you're worried about are your neighbors going to speak to you anymore if you disagree with them? Just these really basic things that can be very detrimental to peace in our own lives. But yet, at the same time, the thing that we have to remember is God is always in control. Everything does happen according to his plan. And at the end of the day, we can't place our hope in politicians or worldly events or things going a particular way. You know, I've been on your show to talk about this before, and I think it's a really important reminder, especially as as we are beginning a new year, reorient, reorienting and resetting ourselves to remember that real hope in this world comes from placing your trust in God and allowing him to work in your life and looking for ways to be hopeful about what's happening, because not everything actually is always doom and gloom, despite what our news wants us to believe. Laura, I'm so glad that you you mentioned uh, that God is always in control. It reminds me of uh, that verse from Romans 8.28, uh, that uh, all things work together for good for those who love God. Uh, and we really have to have that type of hopeful perspective just to be able to make it through this world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and even that particular bit, for those who love God, and we may wonder, is it really that simple? But it really is. You know, this this high-tech, complicated world that we live in is very different from the one that Jesus lived in, and yet we are asked to live in the same way. And it and it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. Just to be loving God, that's kind of step number one. 
want to bring in our early bird uh, listeners. Uh, if you can think of any other reasons to be grateful for, especially in your own life, we'd love to hear from you, be part of the conversation. Or if you have any other question or comment for Catholic author Laura DiMaria, we have open lines at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, Laura, this past year of 2022 was somewhat of a difficult year in many different respects, uh, but uh, everything was uh, not uh, bad. Can you talk about some of the things that happened in, in uh, this past year uh, that we should be grateful for and, and hopeful mm-hmm. here as uh, we're 10 days into the new year? Yes, and I think it's really important to do this, to name these things that were good. And I have a feeling that for anyone listening in our audience, you, regardless of how your last year was or your yesterday or this week, how it's going, there's always going to be something that you can pull out that's good. And even if it's one thing against a hundred bad things, you still got that one thing and seriously think about it, be grateful for it. Uh, but, but for us generally as Catholics and as people who believe certainly in the sanctity of life in particular, of course, the first thing we want to talk about is the fact of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And, and it was a huge deal for so many reasons. It was something that I think most people thought was never, ever going to happen. And yet here we are, where we are now living in a country that no longer has this so-called constitutional right to abortion. And so that's good in and of itself, but there's a couple of trickle-down effects from that. And one is that, and, and I haven't really heard a whole lot of people talking about this, but it strikes me as being very true and something to watch, which is that Roe v. Wade gave a lot of politicians cover to talk a big pro-life game, but know that they were never really going to be held accountable about it. Now they are. So the pro-life fight is being taken to the states. State uh, legislating bodies are passing their own laws, you know, setting up their own systems for how pro-life or not they're going to be. And and so now at the local and state levels, and, and again, the federal level, politicians are actually going to have to walk the walk when it comes to their so-called pro-life beliefs. And I think that that's a really good thing. And then, of course, the other aspect of it is now there are all these children in the world who would not have existed otherwise. And, you know, and it breaks your heart to think about these, these babies who would not have existed and would not have been loved and taken care of, which we pray that every child who's born in this country will be. But that's, I mean, that is the literal physical result of of this being found to be unconstitutional is that there are now new little humans in the world. And, and it's just a wonderful, beautiful thing. And, and we should be praying for all of them. Yeah, no question. That's a really good point. Uh, tens of thousands uh, that we know of uh, that uh, have been saved from abortion uh, just because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. One other thing from a, from a spiritual perspective that uh, a lot of people forget was that Roe v. Wade was overturned on the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So again, God is in control. There's no accidents. I believe there was a reason why that happened on that day. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have a couple of Catholic justices. I don't know if they have control over when these announcements are made, but but that'd be kind of neat to think about if they if they timed it specifically to make a point, you know, and, and I had forgotten about that. That's a very good reminder. Uh, Laura, how about a, another reason for hope as uh, we uh, welcome in this new year? So another thing to be excited about and grateful for is the return of in-person gatherings. Now, certainly in 2021, there was a little bit of that coming back, but, uh, you know, I, I was still 
going to events where you had to have a mask, you had to be vaccinated or whatever the case was. And it seems like in the last year, all of that pretty much has gone away. Certainly there are businesses and places where they recommend that you wear a mask or that they'd like you to be vaccinated, but you can't really be denied entry anywhere for that. So that's sort of like in the business professional sense. But more importantly, the getting together of families and even more importantly, the return to attending church, to attending mass. A lot of churches have maintained their online live streaming of their masses, and that's good because there certainly are home, like legitimately homebound people who are served by that option being available. But for the rest of us, we can come back to our churches. We can have events. You know, my own parish, we're doing talks, we're doing breakfasts, we're, we're returned back to that level of normalcy. And it's important because those are the sorts of things that keep us human. And I think that for many years to come, people are going to be studying the detrimental effects of enforced, as it was called, social distancing that was so, so harmful to everyone's mental and spiritual and emotional well-being. So that's firmly in the past. And I think it's going to be more difficult in the future should something similar come up in terms of a pandemic or something. If there are leaders who want to put us back in that position of being separate from each other, I think it's going to be a lot harder case to make because we saw very little benefit and, and huge cost to doing it. And we can pretty much safely say, all right, that's in the rearview mirror. We're going to need to process some of that, but we don't have to go back there. And that's very much something to be grateful for. My, my biggest concern in terms of that is the damage that it did to young children, especially. It's been yes. documented. It's been written about. Uh, we yep. don't know exactly what the long-term effects are uh, for some of these children that had to, to deal uh, with the lockdowns and, and the mass mandates and uh, having to mm -hmm. uh, go to school uh, watching it on television. Right. Yes. And, you know, in a way, it's sadly kind of reflective of the, the anti-life culture that we have in this country where we kind of sacrificed children for for our own needs, you know, their health and well-being. Um, there, I'm sure there are people who are listening to this who totally disagree with me, but but I think that that really is the case, you know, and, and there is sort of this conversation of how resilient children are, but I don't know why we were putting them in that situation. And, you know, thankfully now they are no longer in that position and parents hopefully feel a little more empowered to push back if such a thing were re-implemented. One more positive uh, note related uh, to the mm -hmm. pandemic is, is the growth of Catholic schools. A lot of people uh, who decided to take their kids and put them in Catholic schools because they weren't going to uh, put up with some of the nonsense that was going on. Right. So one thing leads to another. You've got children in these situations being asked to interact and learn in ways that are completely unrealistic and unhealthy. So a lot of parents said, you know what, that Catholic street or uh, that Catholic school down the street is open. We'll go check it out and see how that is. You know, they're open and maybe they'll be able to educate my children and allow me to go to work. So that's happened a ton um, all over the country. And not only did it happen in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, these kids have remained in these schools. So they weren't put in schools and then taken back out. And there's been a few different articles and studies about the benefits of that, including that children in these Catholic schools are the most high performing in the country, which of course, for those who are familiar with Catholic education, isn't a surprise, but it's probably a new learning curve for, for parents, particularly secular parents, non-Catholic parents, who have now put their children in these schools and are finding that their kids are healthy and thriving 
doing well on their tests, you know, participating in sports again, all these things. So, so that's a point of light in all of this is that the wonderful education that Catholics have known about and that's been available to us for a long time has now been opened up to a new demographic, new demographics. And I'll take this point to note also, you know, a, a lot of it's, it's, in some Catholic schools, it's very inexpensive for kids to go there. You know, their their education is subsidized by the donations that come in because as Catholics, we believe that everyone deserves a good education. So whether or not your own kids are in, are in a Catholic school, consider supporting your local Catholic school. You know, donate to them so that they are able to educate the children that will be the future of this country and that will be in positions to lead us. You know, this is why it matters for all of us, whether or not you have children, our country is going to be run by the people who are coming up behind us. You know, so it's imperative on all of us to support Catholic education because it's such a good thing for children and families and for our country. Well, Laura, we're uh, 10 days into the new year. Uh, uh, the New Year's resolutions uh, are still on the minds of, uh, of a lot of folks. Uh, can, can you talk uh, about uh, what we should do here at, at the beginning of the year in terms of just kind of examining where we're at? Yeah, I think making resolutions is fine if you can stick with them. I think if you want to approach it from the Catholic perspective, an even more straightforward thing to do is an end of year, beginning of year examination of conscience. You know, so what am I grateful for? Where did I fall short? Where is God calling me in this year? And then move from there. You know, always any sort of life decisions you want to move into prayerfully with that time sitting down with God. So whether or not you're going to make resolutions, sit, sit down and spend some time just in that examination of conscience. Have a conversation with God about where you want, you, want to go in life and where he wants you to go in life. Obviously, uh, none of us uh, lead a life without some kind of challenges or, or trials. So uh, I, I think it's important to to be grateful for the blessings that we do have and to count those blessings, especially here as we start the new year. Definitely. And gratitude in and of itself, I really feel like is a prayer. You know, it's, it's like the most basic thing you do, you can do is to say to God, I'm, I'm thankful for waking up today. I'm thankful for the breath in my lungs. I'm grateful for my home and my job and, and every little thing. I'm grateful for this great cup of coffee that I have. You know, you really can be grateful for so many things and it's going to change your whole mindset when you do. And so if you're looking to reset, you know, now's the time to do it. Start with these little approaches of gratitude and love for God. And just remember throughout the year, just keep on looking for these points of lights because they, they are there. And that's the hope that God gives us. And for our listeners, if they want to read your article, Reasons for Hope at the End of the Year, they can find it on your website? They can, yeah, com, or you can go to catholicstand.com and search for me there. Laura, as always, uh, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Laura DeMaria, Catholic writer and nonprofit management professional in Metro Washington, D.C. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Morning Air contributor Damon Owens, the executive director of Joyful Ever After, will be with us to share some marriage resolutions that we can work on here in the new year. Stay with us on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. He's got high hopes, he's got high apple pie in the sky hopes. Cause all of me loves all of you. 
your edges and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with uh, Glenn Leverins and Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Revelation 3.20. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to hear his voice. He knocks on the door of our hearts, inviting us to sup with him, that is to eat his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. Christ desires a close intimacy with us, the faithful. The question is, do we really take advantage of this gift of love, of his true presence, substantially present in the sacred host under the appearances of bread and wine in the most holy Eucharist? During this three-year Eucharistic revival, that we're uh, celebrating here these three years. Let's uh, begin uh, today here in the beginning of the year by opening the door of our hearts and letting our Lord Jesus feed us with the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now I want to talk about marriage. Uh, it To me, it's always inspirational to see couples whose marriages have lasted a long, long time. And although Hollywood celebrities are famous for short-lived relationships, some have uh, bucked that trend and witness uh, to the fact that marriage can indeed last. I recently uh, spoke to Morning Air contributor uh, Damon Owens to tell us about some celebrities whose marriages have stood the test of time. And uh, we talked about what makes them successful. Damon is an international speaker and evangelist for over 20-plus years. He's the co-founder and executive director of Joyful Ever After, along with his wife, Melanie. It's a movement to help married couples get the marriage they want from the marriages that they have. Here's my conversation with Damon Owens. Good morning, Damon. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. It's always great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much. Good morning to you. And what a Good news story and conversation to have. Great to be with you. For sure. Uh, Damon, this is always interesting. Uh, you know, you think of, of celebrities, you, you think of them in their uh, film and television roles. Uh, but uh, when when they're committed to marriage, it can be very inspiring. Uh, why do you think it's, it's surprising to hear of some celebrities that actually have a life-lasting marriages? I think there's a couple of things. I think, you know, in general, you know, we're a culture that does uh, honor celebrity in every manner. We're looking for icons. We're looking for for witnesses in every area of, of our life, things we like to do. You know, when someone stars in a movie that we we like or even is in a movie, uh, we want to know everything about them. You know, remember when we were kids, we have all the teen magazines. We want to know about the singers. And, you know, if you're such a great singer, you must be a great person. If you're such a great actor, you must be a great person. And, and as you said in the beginning, more often than not, we are utterly disappointed in the uh, in the, the brokenness, you know, that we see privately or publicly. So when we do hear inspiring stories, that uh, basically it means someone who in their private life is living uh, you know, values that we hold, uh, then we say, wow, there's a depth here. There's a breadth here. There's a humanity here. It's more than just the image of what they hold in the movie that I like or the song that I love. There's something in their private life that even if it's 180 degrees from from what we see them in their celebrity status, uh, we hold and we say, you know what? That's a good person. That's a good man. That's a good woman. And I think in the, as Catholics, we look for these things because it's, it's so disheartening uh, in that same area where we hear people and see people who claim 
uh, the Catholic faith, but then in their private life and oftentimes in their public life as well, are counter witnesses to it. So I joined the rest of the world. I'm no different than anyone else. Melanie and I are always scouring to see who is living their lives along the Catholic faith, the value that we hold so dearly, and especially in this area of marriage, people who um, you know are living lives and have placed a higher value and probably higher level of courage to live the permanency of marriage, to fight for their marriage, to be married literally for decades, and still be part of what we assign as uh, the Hollywood culture. So, you know, I, I, I clap and cheer as well when I hear about some of these celebrities with 20 and 30 years of marriage. Uh, it's a good news story. Well, Damien, you talk about courage, uh, and that uh, describes uh, the first celebrity we're going to talk about, Jim Caviezel. Uh, he had the courage uh, to be the actor who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, along with his wife, uh, Carrie Browett. They've been married 26-plus years. They've adopted three children together, uh, all of whom had cancer. Uh, what do we know about this couple? Yeah, you know, th this is a, probably a great one to start with because there's always that that um, that challenge of playing Jesus literally in a movie that is as Catholics just captivated and continues to captivate our imagination. But also he's an actor. So his job is not to be Jesus all the time. <laughs> and yet our our association with him is, is just that is that he portrayed and gave us an image and a vision of our Lord that really is and from an artistic point of view, from an um, a cinematic point of view with Mel Gibson, um, Stephen McFeely, you know, they really gave us that. So he's got sort of a high bar, you know, when it comes to, you know, what is your private life actually like? And I think another witness to this besides that marriage of, um, you know, since 1996, that he has always held his, uh, his example, uh, in, 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 uh, to the, to a high level. He's a speaker at many pro-life events, Many of us in the Catholic world recognize his philanthropy and, and other work as well. And yeah, this is a family that privately has decided, as you mentioned his wife, Carrie Browett, um, very famously uh, to be not only adoptive parents, but special, special needs, you know, with these children with cancer. So uh, that that really is just a beautiful witness that most of us kind of look and say, yeah, that's he has proven over decades that he's a man who's really trying to live his faith. And again, we're not canonizing people. We're very careful about it, of course. But as you said, that um, that witness privately and publicly um, as an adoptive father, uh, I just, again, his stock has gone way up. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, having played <laughs> Jesus, what this guy knows about yeah. the value of suffering? He yes. suffered himself in real time making the movie, but to, to bring it to his marriage. Exactly. And, and voluntarily, right? So the stories we've heard about on set and, and the, uh, the filming of Passion of the Christ, but also, you know, he's all talked about his struggles in selecting new roles and, you know, trying to live up to, you know, the expectations of these things. So, again, we can honor the struggle. He's not a matter of impeccability and perfection. No, what none of us are. But, man, to to choose to, in his private personal life and his family life with his wife, which has, speaks volumes about his wife, Carrie, as well. Uh, and raising these beautiful children. So just a great start. Another celebrity we want to talk about is Gary Sinise, famous uh, for his roles in Forrest Gump and CSI. Gump. Uh, along with his wife, uh, Moira Harris, they've been married since 1981. What do you know about them? Yeah, just, again, just reading stories about that family. He's um, He's been a man of principle for many years, and many of us have seen his uh, uh, his 
work with veterans and his patriotism and his private life being very generous with his time, with his endorsements for veterans uh, over the years. And he's got an interesting story about his own conversion to the Catholic faith. And, um, you know, he 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 made a, a late decision, as it were, because you said he was married in, in 1981, but it wasn't until 2010 that he joined and, and uh, uh, you know, baptized into the church. But he speaks about how his you know, his, his wife and his family and his worship and how grounded he has been in the Catholic faith. And very much so was not a, a sudden decision, according to him, but it very much was a culmination of the realization of just how much uh, not only our Lord Jesus Christ, but the Catholic Church has been a grounding force uh, in his decades of, uh, of life. So great story about a late conversion, even into the Catholic faith because of his family even as a man well-known in, uh, in Hollywood. Another longtime married couple is a funny man, uh, Steve Carroll and his wife, Nancy. They've been married uh, since 1995. Uh, another example of a marriage that has lasted. Yeah, you know, and comedy is an interesting thing because, you know, as you say, we can laugh at things, but a lot of things can be can be vulgar, can be off-putting, and you know, and and in terms of career, I don't I don't mind saying I've I've been a fan of Steve Carell and was very disappointed with some of his movies over the years, um, and yet it's one of those uh, he's one of those those actors that you have to uh, move through the storyline in order to get to a really virtuous end, and he's not afraid to. I'm thinking about movies like the 40 year old virgin, um, you know, where it seems like he's with the culture mocking things like chastity and virginity. And there's some of that, you know, to connect with the broader culture. But if you watch a lot of his work, he's he's like uh, Stephen Colbert, you know, his his, his uh, longtime collaborator and friend where, you know, you, you get through all the mud and the muck and the, you know, the the ugliness of, of the culture that they help. We, we find ourselves laughing at and don't like it, but it's almost always a, a beautiful virtuous end there. And I think that as he's gotten more control over his own projects, you can see that in his work. Uh, and, um, and I think it's a reflection of at least his um, commitment on this personal level with his wife and his family. Again, married since 1995. Uh, uh, Damon, good story. we have a, about a minute to go. Uh, time for one more. Comedian Jim Gaffigan, the guy is hilarious. He's been He's married hilarious. for 20 years with his wife, Jeannie. They have five children. He laughs and talks about marriage all the time. He does. And, you know, it's interesting working together. His wife is a genius in terms of uh, writing and helping and working together, you know, as a producer. Uh, but he had a great example. Again, with most of us here in the East Coast have seen uh, the Gaffigans in the New York City area as part of uh, Catholic New York. And they've been married with five children. And he jokes about the number of children and uh, how committed his wife is to the faith. And he jokes about it, but he very much uh, talks about how grounded it is. I think he uh, he, he, again, they're married in, in 2003 and, um, she's been dealing, uh, sadly with brain tumor. So, uh, great example, great, funny man, but also again, someone in the private life who's known to us here on the East coast. And that was my conversation with Damon Owens, the co-founder and executive director of joyful ever after. 
I want to continue to keep talking about marriage and shift gears a little bit to talk about New Year's resolutions for couples. In fact, uh, if you have uh, any thoughts or comments on uh, marriage and New Year's resolutions that perhaps uh, you've thought about and you want to try to live out here at the beginning of the new year, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, ways that you can improve your marriage today. We're taking your calls. 888 914 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short uh, break as we uh, continue our conversation on marriage. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Your eyes in stars above It's just the thought of you The very thought of you I wanna make you smile when you're feeling sad And carry you around when you're all thrived It's just bad Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Tuesday morning. We're talking this morning about marriage, uh, New Year's resolutions for couples. What can you do uh, to improve your marriage here at the beginning of the new year? A number, if you want to chime in, you want to be part of the conversation, uh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, we're, a lot of folks are making New Year's resolutions uh, about many, many different things. I think that marriage uh, should be right there at the top of the list. Uh, what do you think, uh, Glenn and Sarah? Well, I, I think that's a great thing to do. I think it's uh, uh, not an uncommon thing to do to make resolutions, but you talk about, you know, so many of those ref refer to our, our general health. You know, we're going to try and eat better, exercise more, et cetera, give up bad habits uh, for chemicals that might hurt our bodies, things like that. But for long-term health, actually having a healthy marriage, a happy marriage is going to actually help your health too. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we don't think about, right? When you think of New Year's resolutions, you're thinking, okay, hitting the gym, dropping the donuts. That's, that is, uh, those are noble and great things to do, but we don't think about our relationships. And especially if you're married, that is a big, big part of your daily life. So that we're even bringing this up, it makes, I didn't even think of that. That's something that we need to be thinking about. I tell you, as you two know, uh, I was uh, gone over the weekend in Omaha, Nebraska uh, for a wedding. My sister-in-law, my wife uh, Cindy's sister Mary, got married. It was a beautiful, beautiful uh, traditional wedding in the traditional Latin rite. And uh, it was so moving, and it reminded me about some New Year's resolutions here at the beginning of the year when it comes to marriage. You know, there's so many little things that we all can do uh, to improve our marriages. And, you know, uh, Father Rocky says it uh, so often, you know, the family that prays together stays together. And I think that that's something to consider, you know, praying with your spouse. Uh, I, it's, it's something that we used to try to do when we first got married, and it's so easy to get out of that habit. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's easy to get out of a lot of habits that were good habits. And I know that like when life is very chaotic and very busy and people are here and there and everywhere. And uh, usually me and my husband are dividing up children for bedtime routines. So it is very difficult for us to ever get to a point where we're, you know, we're just 
passed out. We didn't get to that prayer time together. So to try to make time to say, okay, maybe we should try to get back into doing this maybe once a week, twice a week till we can kind of, you know, you get the sea legs and then you can get going on that kind of stuff. It's definitely not going to hurt. It's only going to help your relationship to be able to spend that kind of intimacy uh, with each other and with God. I remember uh, when we were engaged, we used to go on dates, and before we would go out to dinner, we would make a stop at the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, And wow, that was a great habit. We need to get back into that. Hey, that sounds like a good idea, John. So definitely, you put that on your list, okay? We got to make a list here for all the people out there who are thinking, yeah, okay, okay, you got me. Well, let's let's start with our list. What are some of the things that we could be doing? All right, Glenn, uh, any thoughts? Well, that idea of praying together is uh, wonderful for building that spiritual intimacy and to be able to to share what's really on your heart, what you're really worried about, what you're concerned about might not be things that pop up or even through that uh, spousal telepathy that we assume each other has, uh, they might not be able to to figure that out. So taking time to do that. And then even the stats, I'd seen a survey through the years on that, that uh, a couple that say goes to church together uh, has a much better chance of staying together. Uh, A couple that's involved in some church activities, small groups, and, you know, taking the faith a little more seriously, better chance yet. But a couple that prays together regularly, out loud, sharing what's on their heart spiritually, coming to the Lord together, uh, just an infinitesimal chance of breaking up at that point. And so, and that is really uh, not only the Holy Spirit at work, but that intimacy that's uh, that's developed. And, and you talked about honesty in marriage, to be that openly uh, honest about uh, your spiritual concerns with one another can only be a great thing. How about uh, the couple that eats together stays together? There's something to be said for having dinner together, especially uh, as a family, at least a few times a week uh, if you can do it. Oh, yeah. No, well, I mean, that and that also can be extremely challenging with different schedules of, of children and adults with the different things that we have on our plates. But it is something that I know we, we do try to do. We don't always get we definitely don't get every single day, <laughs> but we try to do as many days as we can. And that is I know I can tell the difference. And just when my husband is not there and it's me and the kids, it's just a different feeling um, at the dinner table. So definitely, if that's something that you haven't been doing or maybe you've been doing kind of with fluctuation which I I can honestly say we've been very fluctuating in that, especially with the different times and seasons of the year that you can be going through. That's definitely something that you got to, you know, try to get back on the horse for because that that's that's like, you know, when you're thinking, okay, I need to exercise because my body needs more exercise. Uh, You need to get back into these good habits because they definitely um, over time, they just they just make for such a better household feeling. And you're just running on all cylinders much better when the more interchanges that you have that are just alone, not with TV and devices and distractions. And it's just you guys all together. It definitely makes everything move a lot smoother. Um, I am uh, very much a fan of uh, Father Rocky's marriage insurance, uh, 12 Rules to Live By, the the book that that he wrote. Uh, Many of our listeners are familiar with that book. In fact, Father Rocky actually preached a a part of uh, those 12 rules at our wedding uh, years ago, now going on 18 years ago. And one of the things that I always remember is uh, the importance of going on a weekly date. Uh, it sounds good, but it's not always so easy to carry out. The last time uh, recently that Cindy and I went on a date, uh, she reminded me that, uh, you know, Father Rocky says we should do this every week, not just every once in a while. 
Well, that's not a bad idea. And it doesn't have to be a big, fancy, expensive date either, but just some time together. And to make that date separate from also, which is good, kind of a a household meeting to talk about what's coming up on the schedule, uh, how things look budget-wise, some of the future planning and things like that. But to to have that date, even just for an hour or two, to be together and talk about things that aren't the household business can be very great and important. It helps you remember why you like one another in the first place. Absolutely. Uh, There's enough stress uh, day to day. Uh, This is a good way uh, to deal with it. And and also, uh, another thing that Father Rocky recommends is taking a yearly vacation. And he he recommends to do it without the kids. Now, that can be tough for some families. Yeah, I think that's not going to be something everyone can do, especially when they're little. Uh, Just reading something that talked about uh, doing something with the kids. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things where, you know, guys can go on fishing or hunting trips with the guys. Ladies go travel, things like that. But I think especially when the kids are little, to do a family vacation together, that can be fun stuff for the kids to do. It doesn't have to be a a giant, expensive, faraway trip to an amusement park, although those first plane rides for kids are quite quite an awesome thing as well. But uh, travel hits some of the states parks, national parks, whatever whatever is within driving distance. And one of my favorite driving trip tips when kids are little too, take some time to stop along the way. Don't do the interstate the whole way. Go through towns where you can just stop at a, a playground that you see on the way. Let them blow off steam for 15 minutes and your trip will be a lot happier for the next two hours. Now, Glenn, you're telling me that it's not a good idea to be in the car with a bunch of kids for hours and hours and never take a break? What? That doesn't <laughs> gotta sound make some right. Time. Gotta make good time. No, no, no. You gotta take time, especially oh, when they're buddy. little. And your own back will appreciate it too, I'm sure. 888-914-9149. Cora is joining us from Appleton, Wisconsin this morning. Good morning, Cora. Uh, thanks uh, for being with us this morning. Good morning. I had just tuned in on my way to work, and I heard that you were talking about maintaining intimacy. And as a newlywed, I wanted to share something that my husband shares with everything, with everybody that he can. Um, that he found a, a peer-reviewed study in a prestigious journal saying that 99% of couples that pray together out loud every day stay together. Wow. And that was really encouraging when I got married just a couple months ago, and I'm looking forward to praying every day. That is uh, that is uh, great news, and uh, I really appreciate uh, uh, that uh, very interesting statistic that uh, says that we should pray with our spouses. Uh, Cora, thanks so much uh, for calling. Man, that seems like it's almost foolproof if you pray every day. So it seems like that's really, really good advice. <laughs> we want to make sure we take uh, take uh, everybody up, take that up, because that seems like there's really no you know no lose, no loss there. That's just a win. It's definitely a win-win, and, and you know and it, it can be it's something as simple as a, a grace before meals or just praying in Our Father, a, a Hail Mary and a Glory Be. And, and if you can, p- pray the rosary or part of the rosary. You can always pray it with Father Rocky. And speaking of Father Rocky, one other recommendation that I've always been encouraged by is he recommends that every day you say, I love you. Uh, to your spouse. Just a simple I love you and a kiss and uh, a reminder that mom is the queen. So uh, you can't go wrong, I think, with that bit of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Along those lines of mom being the, the queen, we've heard the saying, happy wife, happy life. And I hear a lot of people say happy spouse happy house. So it's a, it's a two-way street. We have to love and respect one another. But uh, again, back to that point of praying out loud together uh, to be that 
closely connected that we'll pray, and not just the beautiful rote prayers that we have in our faith, but to pray extemporaneously about what's really on your heart, what's troubling you, what you're longing for, and so that one another can share in that and pray for one another as well. It not only invites the Spirit into all of that, but uh, it really kind of shows where you're at and able to talk about anything together. And that is really some of the glue that'll keep you together. Absolutely. Uh, Praying together and Heck, just spending some time together. I spent some time with uh, Cindy on Saturday. We went shopping, went to the mall while we were in Omaha. We had a great time. Uh, we've spent quality time, just the two of us, and it's a reminder of the importance of spending time together. As always, it is now time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Receiving with Love by Joseph Mazzella. My daughter had overbought several times over the last six months, so her food pantry was full, and she wasn't sure she'd be able to eat all the stuff that she had left. She asked me then to donate two boxes full of dry goods to the local food pantry. I was happy to do so. I took them over. I was overwhelmed, though, by the enthusiasm, the joy, and the love with which her donation was received. The lack of donations, plus the high price of groceries that hit the charity hard, and their shelves needed every donation they could get. We were thanked over and over again as I drove home smiling. My mind went back to another time when we were the ones in need. Money was tight. My job barely paid the rent and extra bills that month had cut into what we'd saved for the groceries. My next check was a week away and we didn't have enough food to get us there. We went to a food pantry and watched our little kids playing outside while my wife picked up a box to fill with food to feed us. I was worried, nervous, and scared. I'd never had to seek help like this before and I just hoped it would be enough so our children wouldn't go hungry that week. My heart swelled with gratitude, and my wife finally walked out with a smile on her face and a box in her arms. As we drove home, I silently prayed and thanked God for all the good people who had given so we would not go hungry. Our Heavenly Father created this great big round world for all of us to live on. It is one huge circle of love. Sometimes you're giving that love to others. Sometimes you're receiving that love from others. It's all the same, however. It's all one. It doesn't matter whether you're giving with love or receiving with love, as long as you're living with love. Take your place in the circle, then. Never be ashamed to receive a gift of love. Never be afraid to give a gift of love. That's what we're all here for. That's what life is all about. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Really appreciate it. Coming up uh, next hour here on Morning Air, Catholic evangelist Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com, will discuss doing ordinary things with extraordinary love. Plus, Professor Harry Kramer, professor of management and strategy at the Kellogg School of Management, will share some practical steps to increase the probability of success for your New Year's resolution. So don't change that dial. There is much more to come here in the final hour of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.